Watson. And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast. We'll be reviewing Sunday's crushing blow as the Texans dropped to 4-3 after losing the first AFC South statement game in Indiana. It was a case of burnt brisket and broken dreams as Trader Bills back out on the floor of the injuries mount and getting ready for Chucky's Oakland Abandoners. So joining us this week to uh, review review Sunday's matchup is David Anderson of the Scotch Colts account uh, on Twitter. Uh, thanks very much for joining us, David. How are you doing? Very well, very well, especially after Sunday's game. But um, thanks for having me on. Not at all. I think it was uh, it was uh, a typical divisional matchup. I think I think you've got uh, since 2014. There's only been um, one of the only one game uh, decided by seven points or more. So I think like to. The divisional games tend to be tight, um, and 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 you saw that, um, you know, last season, and then this season looks like it's going to be very much the same. I think it was obviously you guys were coming off the bye week. Uh, your talisman, uh, your and your linebacker, uh, defensive or rookie defensive MVP last year coming back. How much does that guy mean to your team? It's it's almost it's, you almost can't really put it into words how much of a difference he makes. You know, we've, we've got talent on the on the defensive side of the ball but it's very young talent including Leonard himself obviously but you can just see the energy and the leadership that he brings whenever there's a, a break in play whenever there's something that goes against us you're always looking at number 53 and he's the one who's talking he's the one who's picking people up he's the one who's making the making the calls it's it's amazing how much it means to the team having only been in his second year Yes, I remember when they when they when they uh, drafted him, and I had a, a sort of top hundred player uh, printout in front of me, and you know, and he was significantly down that yeah. list, you know, and it looked it looked like at the time he'd been well ahead or he'd been picked well ahead of where people had him slated, but I mean, obviously, it just shows you goes to a smaller school. Uh, Carolina's a big heart heartland for football, but uh, yeah, I mean, the guys the guys some player. I think there was a couple of passes, and we'll not digress too far, but there was a couple of passes where we had a running back flexed out and he was the one in coverage and, and they tried to throw it and you just thought, you know, surely he wouldn't throw, <laughs> throw it away for that guy. Uh, but certainly he was he was, he was was back and uh, obviously Pierre Desir made it again. He was he was followed Hopkins around and I think Indy, to me, looked a lot the far fresher side after having a bye week and us coming off a bit of a bruising encounter in uh, Kansas City where the Texans were, were missing right tackle. Titus Howard and and uh, and starting corner Bradley Roby um, and that that you know they were two key misses for us on Sunday and I think that was that was evident I thought anyway um, that, that certainly the, the, there was two or there was a, a number of c- contrasting elements between these two teams I think if you look at Texans relatively top heavy with stars whereas Indy I've got a really strong one to fifty three and uh, it's it's um, you can see that in the way that Chris Ballard's built that squad because despite having the the heart ripped out of the team at the start of the season with a sort of shock or perhaps not so shock inside the building, but the short retirement and Andrew Locke, um, you can still see that despite that, um, Brissett's come in and he's, he's you know he was quite stout and resolute in the way he went about marching them down the field a couple of times. So I, I thought the strength of the roster, because I think the Texans had about seven players that went off on Sunday, um, just getting to that stage of the season where you're banged up. Um, but the strength of that team, despite uh, despite a couple of injuries on the, uh, the your, your uh, slot nickel corner was was out um, in, in Moore. But I, th- I think the the strength of that team was 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 a big factor on Sunday. What, what would you what would you make of that? 
Yeah, hundred percent. I think you know we've we've um, we've struggled to keep Malik Hooker on the on the field since he's come into the league, but um, our rookie Kareem Willis, who's who's stepped into his shoes and been and been unbelievable. He's just one of those players when you're watching the film, he just he looks like he's he's on fast forward and everybody else is is going at normal speed. So to have somebody come in, um, I think he was I think he was the fourth round who drafted him in, and he's he's come in and, and we've not really missed Hooker too much. Uh, but like you say, having the bye week was a massive difference, and and even not just getting healthy, which is obviously a massive factor. But I think giving Frank Reich and, and Nick Sirianni an extra week to kind of think about the fact that we're now being seen as this run first team, um, and try and make a game plan around getting the ball in Brissett's hands and using the receivers, the tight ends, because everybody, and I'm sure the Texans were the same, were expecting the Colts to come come in give Marlon Mack the ball and run behind Quentin Nelson and Costanzo, that left side especially. And that bye week gave us the opportunity to have a have a think and let's, let's, let's do something different. Let's get Brissett involved. Let's give him the ball and see what he can do. And he, he stepped up to the plate brilliantly aside from one fumble, which, which nearly cost us. But um, aside from that, he had a pretty perfect day. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll come back to that. Fumble is one of the key moments in the game. Um, but in terms of the... In terms of the two teams nullifying each other, I think they both pretty much cancelled each other in the run game, which up to this point in the season for both sides has been a big, a big positive and um, and, a, and a kind of strength that really balances out their offense. And they were held to 62 yards, Houston 100, and it, it made a big difference. I think um, I think you touched on Frank right there, and I think he's building quite a nice resume against Bill O'Brien now in the games he's played. Uh, just as just as Jacoby Brissett as he now is four and zero career record against the Texans and. Uh, under Bill O'Brien since he's been in the league, so I think he's definitely got got an edge on us, um, or certainly seems to c- continue to have an edge. I mean, what JJ uh, Watt had a five quarterback hits yesterday, and he you know he kept he kept hitting Brissett, but he just kept popping back up, and he just kept finding the passes. And I don't think he was really challenged in the passing game all day. I think is as in the in the first and then got into the second quarter, starting safety. Sean Gibson goes out. Um, and then, uh, and then returning from a from a hamstring injury, but then it appeared to be a shoulder injury for the the ageless wonder and, and Jonathan Joseph at corner. We were left really short, particularly with Bradley Roby being out. So we're now our third and fourth string uh, corners. And as I saw Philip Gaines, uh, which actually unfortunately got injured by a bit of friendly fire with uh, Bernard McKinney landing on his ankle, and it looks like he's now out for five months. A guy we picked up off the street um, as the season started. I thought I actually had a good game. I said when I saw him lined up against T.Y. Hilton, who's notoriously given us a terrible time of it in the years by, um, he he actually did an admirable job. Um, and I thought, you know, as the, as the game went on, the Texans D started to get into it. But I think what really swung the game early was was it actually there was three trips to the red zone uh, for the Texans and it ended up nine points and there was three trips to the red zone for the Colts and it was 21. And that that made a huge difference in the game because that was that was kind of just gave the Colts a, a, a real kind of wedge between the two between the two sides in, in the second half. And um, they continued they continue just to kind of really uh, um, just hold on to the game. And I didn't think, I don't know what you think, but at any point did the Texans really get a foothold in the game and really grab it by the scruff of the neck? Uh, no, and I think, I mean, the first half especially, I think they probably could have gone as well as the Colts expected, having had two turnovers, you know, the fumble and the turnover on downs when they went for it in fourth down, um, which is something that I think they're seven for seven this year so far up coming into the game. So um, having had those two issues and the score as it was as half, that, that's that's about as good as they really they could have 
we could have expected to have. Um, and yeah, I think the the defence on the both sides to be able to keep the Texans are one of the I think they're the number one red zone offence going into the week as well. And then the the Colts been able to keep them keep them at bay, keep them a few field goals with Deshaun Watson the way that he is and the and the kind of backing players he's got behind him. It was it was a real a real coup for the for the Colts to be able to to keep going that way. Yeah, I think that's that set them up well in the into the into the second half. I mean, I, I know we exchanged a, me- a couple of messages on Twitter there about the call that the the refs called back. I think the what what sort of got me was actually there was a, I, I thought it was in the Colts game, but actually when I look back, it was in the New York Jets game last year. Almost identical play where Watson's still kind of getting some movement, managed to release the ball, and they call it dead. And and I, I think I think you're right when you said if, if the whistle's gone, it's uh, it's up to the. Um, I think all scoring plays are reviewed, so therefore they should review it in theory. But then, if it's a call it dead before a scoring play, I'm not too sure. I think the the rules tend to overlap sometimes, and uh, despite how much game you watch, I think you can still get a, a, you know a bit uh, overwhelmed by it. But I think if 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 that for me, if that was bl- blown on the grounds of safety, then Jabal Sheer goes for him, misses him, and then as he's engaged with another player, hits him again. So therefore, is that not a foul then? You know, if if it's all on the grounds of safety, so it's one of these ones. I think if the Texans had scored that, and the ref, and the ref, you know, and they're encouraged to particularly with pass interference when a corner and a and a wide receiver are both going at it, you know, the adage is just let them play. Uh, and I don't think they did that there. So, I mean, look, it didn't swing the game. I think we were the masters of our own downfall with the, the penalties. We had uh, 10 penalties only for 54 yards, but five of them were for Colts' first downs. Um, and that that was a big, big boost to the Colts. Not only did we, you know, in the first half, we, you know, not take our chances in the red zone um, and only put nine instead of 21 points up. But then, but then we, we, we gave continuously, you know, first downs and, and you know, stalled our own drives with 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 penalties as well. So we we, we couldn't really get in a, uh, we you know we couldn't really get in uh, or out our own way. I think as 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 the game went on, I think there was there was a couple of penalties and a couple of decisions. I think that turned the game. I think that one being one, um, you know, if that if that goes in and the Colt, um, and the Texans take a, a ten to seven lead, I think you know you're looking at a different complexion in the game. Um, I think the. Uh, the the Eric Ebron one uh, at the back of the end zone if the if the safety or the well, the the rookie corner from Kentucky Lonnie Johnson if he just pushes about the end zone uh, rather than let him try and drag his feet and I think it's you know that's three instead of seven and that was a big one I know the the Frank Wright right rightfully challenged that and Ebron came into the game in the second half and showed you know that revival that he had last season uh, in that system's definitely definitely still there and he's a big threat in that offense. Yeah, I mean, I, I I was really happy for for Ebron. He said that he's not had a great start to the year so far. He had, you know, quite a, he had the game against the Raiders where he had I think three drops in one half, and it was you could just see that kind of shoulder slump. You know, you could see he was kind of getting that. You know, bear in mind it was drops that basically drove him out of the Lions. Uh, but his his performance yesterday was was a real turning point. I'm hoping for this season because that catch. I know you're saying about the, you know, if the if the the corner or, or safety can kind of push him out, but Sometimes you've got to just say what a catch, you know, like that. That I've never thought that was a catch. I've just was waiting for the next, the next down, and then when you see it again, you just look at the, not just the fact that it was one hand, but the concentration to take it in with one hand while making sure your feet are dragging all the way, was just was just something else. And you could even see some of the Colts players were they weren't even thinking it was a, a catch. It was only when you really saw it on the big screen and you could hear the fans. Um, but and, and they had another another couple of really big catches, and you saw them, you know, hurtling over people as well, which is 
which is great to see. And that, that big smile that he has, um, Beeman, he's, he's become a real leader on, on the offence as well, coming in and really kind of taking on that mantle and, and being a, a leader for another. You know, obviously, the, the, I talk about the defensive side of the ball being young, but it's the exact same on the other side of the ball. And, and he's he's one of the, the catalysts for, for keeping this team on, this, on the right track. Yeah, I think, I mean, he's definitely... Not uh, having a look at his t-shirt, he's certainly got a lot. He's not short of confidence. And uh, <laughs> at the end of the game, I think with with Deshaun Gibson going out, he's our kind of main uh, cover for for uh, tight ends, and um, he, he seemed to be able to to uh, disguise his or, or they did a good enough job disguising one of the uh, you know the sort of uh, trips uh, trips formations and getting you know three receivers out together, and that's continued to cause us problems and he that that third down uh catch that he got was was a big momentum killer i think on that drive as well when uh when, when ebron was involved again and stupidly bernard mckinney um despite uh actually gains break uh, philip Gaines breaking up a pass bernard mckinney tries to uh to, to take take ebron out of the game uh which happens a lot in, in plays and you could say it was a bang bang play there was intent there but i think under that situation on third down to try and get one back in the guy and try and, and try and clean him out and then get a and, and then get an unnecessary roughness uh, un, unnecessary roughness on a defensive receiver um, that then that that then killed another third down and then and then there was another penalty after that and at that point it was 16-21 so the game was relatively tight and those two penalties instead of instead of it being a, a field goal for the Colts it was seven and then at that point it was uh, it was it, there was a bit of a gap there and, and at 12 points to try and to try and turn it round I think the what for for me, uh, David, I'd love to get your thoughts on it. But for what was frustrating for for from a Texans point of view is when the offense got going on those two big drives that they had. Um, it was you know they they were they, they were ruthless. You know it was a seventy five yard five play and then a seventy nine six six play drive, which led to which led to two quick scores. You know so when this offense gets going is is. Uh, it's efficient, but we just can't seem to sustain the drives uh, down and down out uh, enough in this game, particularly when Matt Eberflus has put a really good defensive game plan against Deshaun. He certainly seems to have a bit of an edge over him um, in the games we've seen. But yeah, from a Texans point of view, it's frustrating that we just can't sustain that level of uh, of uh, you know of explosive offense, which you know which we which we've got, but it just can't seem to to, to keep it going on a consistent basis. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think because that was, I know you mentioned earlier on in terms of the time that's, that did it ever really get close. And I think that was when the Texans scored those two drives and both were, I think one was two minutes and one was under two minutes. I, that was that was my concern was that there was still enough time for for at least another one or two of those. But I think Matt Eberflus, his philosophy has always been that bend, don't break defence. And it's, it's kind of placated around the fact that you might get the 10 yards, 15 yards plays, but we're not going to, let you have the big ones and and those smaller gains. That's where the Colts try and get their advantages, like the interception that Watson threw, where which was really unlike him and and really just not sound football. And I mean, Desir caught it, but it, it hit him in the numbers, you know. And but that's what Eberflus is all about. It's about getting the pressure and maybe giving little bits and pieces here and there, but looking for your opportunity and when you get it, exploit it. Whether it's you know recovering a fumble or whether it's an interception, but. It's. I think having sheared back was a massive thing for us on Sunday again because he, he is. He's never really going to give you those massive sack numbers, but he, he's constantly, constantly at uh, the quarterback and, and giving everybody a lot of pressure. And in, in Houston as well, I think Frank Reich said after the game, sheared and Houston were the two highest grade players they had um, on defense as well. So I think 
when you've got when you can see the and it's undeniable the the, the quality that Watson has and, and obviously Hopkins as well and, and then when you've had you know Fuller going out was a big miss because I was so concerned that the number two spot was going to be cleaning up against us but you know the there was opportunities for them there and they took them pretty well especially in that second half of those two drives but I think when when you've got the kind of playmakers that we have even without Malik Hooker there was always opportunities for us to get the ball back and that's kind of what happened but it could have it could have gone the other way, especially the way that, that Watson was playing. Yeah, I think I mean we we said at the start the right tackle rookie uh, Titus Howard was out. Uh, Roderick Johnson comes in replaces him, so then Justin Houston pretty much camped out on that right side. Uh, yeah. I think Ben Ben Bangu uh, came in for a, for a play late on as well on that right side, and we missed Howard big time because we hadn't given up a sack in the last two games and okay if you you discount you, you can count the one with with the with the flag that when it, when it was potentially a touchdown but we've given up three sacks in the game which a unit which was coming together nicely so the uh, injuries kind of stifle them there but yeah no i mean i think it was um it was that you know then you, you touched on that uh, Pierre this year getting that cheap uh, interception i think at that stage of the game it was first and 10 you know live, live to live to fight another day i think deshaun said after the game he was trying to check it down to jordan Aitken the tight end and he's he's sort of thrown it between the two players and it's just fallen right in this year's lap um who, who i think had a good day again against hopkins relatively speak i know hopkins and stills both went over 100 uh for the day you know and if you told me both receivers would go you have two receivers over 100 your quarterback would throw for three you think you've got a good chance of winning the game but it just seemed to be um that that was a big a big turning point is we just we needed that extra score just to get right back in the game and we never quite found it and then there was a fourth and one as well where watson's in the shotgun he kind of lets his fundamentals at time go um and i thought it was a bit of predictable play calling almost exactly the same play that we went for on fourth down uh, to ice the game in kansas city just coming from the opposite side um and then obviously you know like like any good uh unit do that that, that you know matt eberflus had watched the tape and hopkins was doubled and watson doesn't get the right depth and his drop and it hits the turf and then you know and then the next drive there's the interception and at that point it was a it was a long way back i think and um and then we get the, the other interception right at the death you know we take the safety to try and play the field position i think as the as the game went on, the Colts' offense got a bit more conservative and didn't really put up much points after the the um, after that last score in the third quarter. Um, but I, th- I don't think they needed to at that point because you know there was guys like Zach Pascal, six six and uh, six receptions at over a hundred yards, and guys like that putting up good numbers. And as the injuries kind of continued to mount for us, um, and there's a reason why we've traded for a corner yesterday. So we had nobody to cover anyone, and it was a bit of a mess at times. And some of the the free releases off the line and the soft coverage we were playing just kind of let uh, let Brissett have a, well, a a career day before with uh, with with four touchdowns. And yeah, I think you've got to credit the guy because he's coming in a, a tough situation. He's been given a sort of bridge length length and the value of contract, but he's coming and he's done an admirable job for that team. Yeah, I'm, I just still can't decide what uh, what Jacoby Brissett is. I, I really like him and I really want him to succeed. He seems like a, a, a top guy, a top leader. And you see games like Sunday and you see the numbers he's putting up and, like you say, the 4-0 record against the, the Texans and I think it's uh, seven t- touchdowns to no interceptions as well in that time. So it's all it's all so good, but I think it's just that thing of being in the you know the, the lucky position of being a Colts fan and seeing the quality of quarterback play that we've had that is, there's just some games where he's he's not quite at it and you've relied on the run game which is fine but I think you know you're talking about the not being able to 
to build on points in the second half. The run game wasn't really able to do anything. And so it's, it's good that you're able to win both ways. Uh, but, you know, just for me, you're thinking about when you come up against somebody like, say, the Ravens or, or dare, I, dare I say, the Patriots, you know, and the, and the quality they've got in the secondary and, the, and on the defensive lines as well. You're, what are you going to be able to do when both's not really working? But I, I, I really, as I say, I really want him to succeed. And he's, he's certainly been doing everything he's needed to so far. And I think Frank Reich and, and Nick Sirianni are doing a great job of, of helping him with that as well. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next few weeks. I mean, the, the Colts schedule really softens up for us the next four weeks before we play you guys again. So hopefully it's more of the same. Well, that's it. I was just looking at that before before we came on. You've got, you know, we've got Oakland uh, at home next week, a trip to London, which you just don't know how that will go and how the players will adapt to the time zone and the the strains of you know long haul travel, and then we've got got to uh, fly back out uh, east to take on Baltimore um, with a bye week in, in between, um, and then then we play you guys, and then whereas the Colts the Colts uh, schedule is looking reasonably favourable with Denver, obviously Pittsburgh not not what they are with Big Ben out, Miami who you know well we know what they're what they're offering this season, and then you got the and then you got the Jags before that Thursday night one in Houston. I think that game is. You know, regardless of of what how that how that schedule um, you know pans out for either team, um, is going to be a must win if you want to win the division. I think it's going to be a winner. You know, not a winner takes all because there's still a few more games to go after that, but it's going to be a big one. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think the, the Colts have had recent success there and having won twice in the space of a month at the end of last year. But I still, the scars are still raw from from not too long ago when we were. We were, uh, looked like we were coasting and got brought back to to lose at your place as well, and that was uh, I think that was the thing that might have been a Thursday night game as well because I'm, I'm sure I remember watching it first thing in the morning and nearly crying into my cereal. It was it was a it was a Sunday night. I was there. It was Brock Osweiler. We kicked the field goal, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, late on, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's been some great games between these two teams. Obviously, Texans hadn't won in Indy for years. Managed to win a couple, of, you know, three times in the last four. Um, Years up up until up until Sunday, so obviously that record was stopped. Obviously Frank Wright kind of handed as the one last year, um, with that kind of going it for fourth and on fourth down in overtime. But it'll be interesting when that that game comes around. I think you know we, it could all very well change uh, for both teams. I think if you look after the schedule as well, I think you know the Colts have got to play the Saints. We've got to play New England. But I would say for both teams, um, bar those games, they're all reasonably winnable. Um, so it's. I think it's going to come down to the last two or three games. I think depending on the state of Tennessee, I think that will be a big, a big swing in our favour. But if if they're if you know, I mean, they certainly came back and won despite uh, despite the Chargers fumbling it on the uh, fumbling it in the one yard line late on. And so every team in the division, apart from the Texans, won um, at the weekend. So it'll be interesting to see. But we play the ten- Tennessee twice in three weeks. On the, on the in the last three weeks of the season, so I think that that could potentially play in our favour. But it's going to be a tight race between these two teams to see who wins the AFC South. Yeah, two two teams who I think, like you were alluding to earlier, Texans is probably more so on the on the star power end in terms of having to watch injuries because although there's a fairly soft schedule, you you really don't want to end up losing someone like Watson, Hopkins, Watt. Um, the Colts are probably a bit safer on that side with the the depth they've got, but. You know, I think the the way that they play the game, it's with that quick defense running around and all that kind of stuff. And, and to be fair, we've not had we've not had the best of luck with injuries. You know, specifically people like Hooker who have just never really seemed to stay on the field for a good good run of of games. So 
that's that's going to be key. And like you say, I think the next few weeks is just going to be about making sure that you're you're not losing silly games. You know, the games that you should win, you are winning. You don't have to make them pretty. You don't have to stack the box in terms of numbers. It's it's just about getting the solid wins. I mean, we've got three of those next four games we've got are at home, so really need to take advantage of that because that means it's going to be a, a road-heavy schedule the second half. Yeah, big time. I think we, we've got a, we've got a three-game stretch against Denver, New England and yourselves. We've got three home games back-to-back. Um, so hopefully that that's that's probably going to define our season and kicking off with you guys next time. So it's going to be interesting. I think a, a bit again. I think the Colts have got some players to come back as we, as do we. So um, it's going to be it's going to I think it's going to come right down to the last few weeks. I think to see who gets the gets the um, get you know gets the home the home field advantage or a wild card. I think so I can see both teams comfortably making the playoffs with the rosters and the. And the performances to this stage of the season, but as we said, a lot can change. Um, so, in, ter- in terms of the uh, in terms of the outlook, um, then what, where do you think where do you see this Colts Colts team finishing up? I think it would be fair to say we could get something like eleven and five. I think that would be that would be enough, um, and I think that's reasonable based on what we've got left. I think you know, for me, it's all about what would we what would we be able to do in the playoffs against a real a real proper playoff opponent you know um, I think when we've, we've, the games that the Colts have won and won comfortably uh, before this week that you know the the Chiefs were were a great result but then you guys made it look a bit worse by going and doing the exact same thing <laughs> the week after um, but I think I think we've got a real chance to to make the playoffs and potentially comfortably and I say that by you know one or two games but I'm not sure how far we'll go in there, I think we're still missing. I think we're still waiting on some of our wide receivers to really step up. I think you've got Hilton and you've got Pascal coming up to be the number two, but that's not what his role was supposed to be. We've had, we've brought in Devin Funches by free agency. We've brought in Paris Campbell in the second round. We had second second year player Dion Kane. None of those guys have really been able to stay on the field and make a difference. And I think we're going to need that because, you know, if you're going to just rely on the run, um, which we have up until Sunday, that's going to potentially lead you to to your downfall if that's if you're only that one that one way of winning so thankfully it was good to see us win through the air on Sunday um, and I think people like Frank you know Frank Reich and Siriana they've, they've really got a good basis for being able to change things up and they really are two of the best minds that that I can think of in the league so I could see us maybe get into the divisional round and then we'll see who we're up against but I think the future's bright with the, like you said, with the, the amount of depth that we've got. It's all about bringing in those star players, and we've we've got a a huge amount of cap space left. Over a hundred million looks like for next year. Again, another second round draft draft pick in the locker from the Redskins, which looks like that'll be pretty tasty for us. So the future's bright. I'm not sure about how far we'll get this year, but I think, I mean, but I can't really fault anything that Chris Barr's done so far in terms of the amount of the amount of potential we've got in the franchise. Yeah, I think the sort of off-field and on-field of both teams, albeit opposite, are sort of mirrored. I think the Colts are kind of steady slowly but surely, and that was how they kind of pieced their drives together um, on on Sunday uh, and, and the way in which uh, 
Brissett distributed the ball, and I think Houston, you know, we're talking about another trade there, and you know, we've made some splash moves in the off season and and gone for it. So I think you know we're a bit, you know, we're a bit more erratic, a bit up and down. So I think if we could piece it together, I think we'll be we'll be tough to beat against any team. We've shown that against New Orleans, and you know, shown that against Kansas City. But I think when it comes, you know, when it comes to the consistency and the grind and the week in week out to get results, and and then longer term as well with the the the, uh, the foundation that that Ballard's built with a big salary cap space and. And you know, and and extra draft picks. I think it's the the two teams are on a very different path. Well, thanks for joining us, David. That was David Anderson, the Scottish Colts account. Let's take a look at this week's news. Trader Bill is back here on the floor this week as he sent a third round pick to the Oakland Raiders uh, in return for the 24-year-old former Ohio State man Gary and Connolly. First round pick in 2017, he's got 2.7 million left in his salary cap over the next two years with a fifth-year option for your Texans. So good in man coverage, perhaps some work to be done in the in tackling and some of his pursuit angles, but definitely some coverability um, in the secondary, which he can pair up with his alma mater, Bradley Roby. Um, and health aside, when he returns in that unit with Lonnie Johnson, obviously the ageless wonder of Jonathan Joseph, looking on paper, that's an improved unit. Hopefully a new setting, a new scheme, a new coaching staff for Connolly can bring the best at him. But certainly Bill O'Brien was bullish in his press conference today about what he's getting in terms of the talent. So it turns out we've got three players back for Jadavian. Miss him, miss him dearly, but uh, but at least we're getting some return and definitely filling a need in a, an area which has been much blighted by health. The Patriots did a very Patriots-esque move, giving a second rounder to the Atlanta Falcons for Mohamed Sanu. I was impressed with him when I saw him at NRG a couple of weeks ago. Definitely a wily veteran, knows how to get open, and I can imagine he'll, he'll take in some passes from Tom Brady before this season's out. Emmanuel Sanders uh, <clears throat> and a fifth round pick is headed to Denver in return uh, for a third and a fourth round pick. Um, from from San Francisco as he goes in to give Jimmy Garoppolo another weapon in the passing game and a six and zero team right now started off well and again that will just help help this passing attack in Kyle Shanahan's offense which we've seen in Houston in previous in previous lives when he was offensive coordinator so a good positive move for them. Drew Brees looks to return versus Arizona. They've done really well without him. Teddy Bridgewater, or Teddy Two Gloves, as he's known around the league, has definitely filled in admirably for him. But Breeze looks like a game time decision has been described as potentially be back for this team. So, be interesting to see if this team continues to uh, maintain maintain the uh, the run they've been on uh, when their leader and an experienced signal caller comes back in. Kalechi Assembly, um, it seems to be at odds with the Jets, despite being recommended for soldier, shoulder surgery rather is uh, is is definitely been at odds with the team it looks like it could end up in a release so a strange a strange uh, situation there for what is a you know a formerly highly highly rewarded contract for a, for a guard in this league and was was traded to the jets prior to the season so it'll be interesting to see how this pans out and as overall last week was and overall, last week was not a great week for the Texans. All three division rivals winning um, in in the division to put some pressure on. So we've got to turn the page to, to, to take on the Oakland Raiders and try and get this season back on track. Deshaun put it perfectly. We can't panic. We just have to be st- steady and resolute in the way we go about our business. And it all starts on Sunday at NRG. So let's take a look ahead to the Week 7 matchup. Join us this week from the Raiders Pod UK. We've got George and Russell to look ahead to the clash at NRG Stadium this Sunday. Guys, how you doing? Thanks for joining us. I'm good, thanks. I'm good. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm pretty good. Cheers. 
So, or the soon-to-be Las Vegas Raiders, but Oakland Raiders currently sitting at 3-3 in the AFC West. How would you sort of sum up their season so far? Frustrating. That's what I'll say. Um, The fact that we started off strong and then, you know, we had two losing weeks, then two winning weeks, then we went back to losing, just gone. Um, I I just feel like they need to stop playing with us, you know. Are Are we a team to be... Feared? Are we just going to be like a laughing stock that people can throw six touchdowns against us? You know, pick one. I'd, I'd rather have a whole season shit than get my hopes up and then just not do anything. Well, as you say, we're we're three and three. Um, the Chiefs are five and two. We needed that win against Green Bay to put us four and two. Uh, if to keep up, keep pace on the on the on the Chiefs. But frustrating, just rounds it up for me, really. Like like George says, um, came off two wins. Okay, it's Aaron Rodgers. He's not he's not um, a backup quarterback or a uh, a poor quarterback at that. But he he dropped six touchdowns on us. One of them was a rushing touchdown, and it was embarrassing. Like, and then obviously we're coming to play you guys. It's it's just getting tougher and tougher now, and we need we need to buck up. But frustrating just sums up the season so far yeah i think we all sort of had a window into the raider nation or the or this version of the raiders of 2019 hard knocks obviously there was a lot of controversy by a a certain wide receiver which i'm sure you probably guys don't want to go over over old ground but he certainly uh, he must have been a distraction so if if the team's fighting you know lacking consistency potentially that was you know that distraction sort of led over in the season and not you know giving them the best footing to start off with Oh yeah, no doubt. Like um, he who shall not be named, because I'm just fed up of talking this, talking about him now, and, <laughs> and I'm, I'm fed up of his fucking Twitter account and all that jazz. Um, but obviously, he caused the disruption. But I think I think that disruption was righted, and the Patriots took that disruption on. But as you say, we we, we all started the season thinking, oh, we're going to have let's let's argue either one of the either one or two of the receiver, best receiver in the, in the league. Um, and then we didn't. And let's be honest now, we are struggling at receiver. Like, we are patching up our receiver core as it is uh, and relying more on our tight ends. So, he who should not be named probably did put a a, uh, a spanner in the works, but it's one, it's one of those things, isn't it? And who knows, we'll go to the draft and probably get a receiver in the first or second. And CD Lamb, that's what I want. See, um, yeah, Oklahoma, yeah, he looks like a good prospect, I think. So he had a three-touchdown game, and afterwards he uh, was wearing a Fred Boletnikoff jersey, which, mm. uh, as Raider fans will know, is one of the top receivers we've ever had. Oh, maybe it's maybe it's all written out. Yeah, I think him and Jerry Judy look like to be the top two yeah. kind of receiver prospects in this I'd, year's draft in Vegas. So, I mean, I'd, like you say, you mentioned Jerry Judy, but I don't want to go back to Alabama for a receiver. I mean, look, look what happened with, like I say, with Amari Cooper, like... Yeah. No, I think so. I mean, I think it's a bit of a time of change for the franchise. Obviously, you've got the biggest Vegas move and, and pending, and you think sometimes at some point that's probably going to come into the players' psyche. Obviously, they've got that upheaval coming and you know having to move their families and everything. Do you think that's played a part as well? Or so obviously their minds are going to be looking to there, thinking, ah, oh, next season we're going to be in a different place, full stop. But then you'd like to think that their minds will be pivoted in Oakland. To, to end with a winning season in Oakland. 
Yeah, I think I mean it's it's obviously a, a different, a, a difficult time potentially for some of the players as it's all going to go, and that's got I suppose that's got to be a concern for you that you're going to move to a new a new town and and it's and you know and you've seen two LA teams do that, some with some success and some with not no success, and and recruiting a, a fan base, um, you know it's potentially difficult for the team and particularly if you don't necessarily start next season well, it could you know it's it's difficult to. To uh, to get people through the gates because they want a winner and if they don't get one they they vote with their feet quite quickly I think definitely with with the NFL um, so going so starting to look towards this weekend obviously a, a man very much with Houston ties and his brother uh, David uh, Derek Carr how would you say his season's gone so far and what kind of threat do you think he poses to the Texans on Sunday his completion percentage is the highest I think in the league maybe still after last week but we're, we're not seeing on on important plays, the accuracy I I feel uh, on the first drive where we took a field goal in the Green Bay game, you overthrew either Hunter Enfield or Hunter Enfield someone else twice. Now one was throwing away, but I feel like he could have connected then. He just needs to get the accuracy right, and he could have such a better game. But we're not seeing the high yard, we're not seeing the high touchdowns, and I think that might be a start that maybe might decide whether he stays or not well it's a frustration for me as it is like i like car and I've, I've stated on our podcast that i like car but i think his time his time as a raider definitely a raider starter he's done yes he has the highest completion of the season with a 74.1 he's played six games 104 completions from 189 attempts i mean 1410 yards i mean eight touchdowns and four interceptions. He's been sacked eight times. That's that's not an elite quarterback in my eyes. When you look at the other quarterbacks, um, Matt Ryan, the, the Falcons are what, one in seven, one in six? Matt Ryan has nearly double Carr's yard. He is top five in quarterback earnings at the moment, and he's producing minimum. If that, yeah, I think so. I mean, the the perception certainly from from my end when when we played you twice and in the season once in Mexico and then in the playoffs, my perception obviously Carr was injured in the uh, in the playoff game, but it was you know it was very much a, a try and you know try and push the ball down the field, take advantage of the PI calls, and that was a big part of his game, and it kind of sort of masks some of the numbers and help drives that perhaps might have his ability on his on its own on a level playing field might not not got them there. So interesting you say that because when I was in the draft at the draft in, in Nashville in April, there was rumours that. Um, you know, right up until the day that you know that if uh, if Oakland were in a position or or uh, or the Cardinals were willing to to trade out of that number one slot, then there was definitely interest there from Gruden and potentially Mayock. I don't know how big a role he plays in some of these decisions, but um, but there was an interest there potentially that they would look at Kyler Murray and that, that it, was, it was potentially being discussed. So it's funny that it's come to a crossroads now because he was a much heralded QB in his good year. Um, that he had um, broke his leg, and it just seems like he's never quite got back to that to that to that level. Certainly, who the, the player that I was really impressed with that coming out in the draft last year, um, and is now is now the bell cow of this offense. Uh, Josh Jacobs, it was a great. You know, he wasn't the feature back at Alabama, but he's certainly been a a feature for the Oakland offense. And I saw he, he passed Bo Jackson's record for the most rushing yards in six games. What sort of threat does uh, does Jacobs pose this Sunday? I think maybe if he still had Clowney. It would be a more equal side, you know. Clown, Clowney seeing in um, 
Seattle. Like he's still a, a top level linebacker, but I still believe you've got some top players. You've still got um, Merciless. You've still got uh, the middle linebacker Benedrick McKinney. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Benadric, you've still got JJ Watt, who to some Raider fans will be sad to hear this, but is my favourite player ever. And that's simply because um, when when I first started getting into the sport, I didn't really know Raiders or anything, but my dad showed me him, and he was like the first player who I ever remembered. Like his name was the first I'd ever read about. But I, I think he's still got a good run. Uh, defense. I still, you've still got a good line and good set of linebackers, but I think if Trent Brown comes back, you you can't stop us. Yeah, I mean, I think we're we're still top, still holding in top five um, in in the Russian uh, defending the rush department. I think it's interesting to Trent Brown's obviously missed some time, but it was a player that I know that the Texans definitely put an offer on the table for, and you you there's there's been a history of Brady's left tackles getting good deals and going elsewhere and not necessarily performing, but. You're confident uh, Trent in the in the Trent in the trenches will make a difference on Sunday. Oh, 100 percent. I mean, like you said earlier, you 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 run off the stats of of how Jacobs has been this this season so far, and and in most people's opinions, if you listen to other podcasts, most of most people have got him as rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year already. I mean, like you say, he, in six games, he's he's beat he's broken records. Um, and we're obviously with a full health, full string, first starters, whatever you want to call it, uh, offensive line. What what can he do? What damage can he do? I mean, like like you say, like George said as well, you do have a good run defense, but can you stop potentially a, a rookie of a year um, running back? I mean, look what McCaffrey's been doing for the the the, uh, the Panthers, arguably carrying that team. Uh, I don't want Jacobs to be carrying us. Because I don't want him to break down like previous Raiders uh, running backs have, but I think this weekend, if if we can get Jacobs running, I reckon he can get another hundred yard game. Yeah, I think that's got to be the concern. I think when you take a running back high as they did, and they had the sort of three picks in the first round to try and fill out the roster after obviously trading away the the two the, the two kind of stars previously, and Gruden was having a fresh start. I think that's always got to be the concern that you don't run them into the ground because they're taking you know serious contact on every play, and if they if if they're not able to you know withstand that, depending you know, and it's sometimes it's just down to luck more than the number of carries they get. But if they do get a high volume, I think it's statistically proven over. Over 26, 27 carries, that's about the limit. And, he, you know, Jacobs has not been far off that, you know, in, in recent games. So, yeah, I think it's be careful. You've got, definitely got a good one there. It's just hopefully they don't, you know, you, they don't lose another talent to overworking at that position. No, I think I think certainly um, that's a that's a threat. And, and, and just as I think has been a kind of really good story, I think, in terms of how a guy's bounced back from adversity and, and uh, and had a bit of you know an affliction in his life and has come back to be the starting tight end, which Gruden um, called him the lifeblood of the offense. And Darren Waller has just been rewarded with a new contract. Texans haven't historically done well against tight ends, so what sort of threat do you think Darren poses in um, you know coming off the line at uh, you know in the pass catching as well as the run blocking game? Well, like you say, he's just had a new contract. Uh... Correct me if I'm wrong on this one, George. But two games, he's gone. He's gone over a hundred yards. Uh, he definitely had two touchdowns this weekend. He's he's earning, or should I say, he earned his new contract, and then he's earning the money that this new contract is giving him. Uh, and as you say, we it's not just it's not just Waller you've got to worry about. Um, with um, Moreau's doing 
doing good things as well. Like he got our first uh, her first passing touchdown this weekend, just previous gone. Uh, he's on two touchdowns for the season. He's a rookie also, but he's he's doing good things. So it's as you say, Titans are getting the better of your Texans. Well, then you've you've got two Titans that are hungry that are going to be coming in, uh, and arguably are getting more more receptions than our receivers because we have none. <laughs> we have no receivers really, so it's going to be a tight end threat. But then, are you going to are you going to highlight that fact and and pressure those those tight ends so we have to run or rely on our receivers? But I believe Waller is tall enough and strong enough to get the space and get those receptions we need him to get. Yeah, I think he's averaging just over 11 yards per reception. So I think he's definitely, you know, an explosive kind of playmaker in the intermediate passing game. I think which the Texans hopefully will have uh, Tishon Gibson fit because he was the reason why we signed him for his tight end coverage ability. And he had good games against Gronk and Travis Kelsey on his resume. Um, and that was the reason why we brought him in. He was taken off at the weekend there um, dealing with a, a wrist injury, I believe. So hopefully he'll be able to make it back because he'll be a key key part for our Texans to try and cover them. It's interesting you, you mentioned the the, uh, the gap that you potentially have in terms of depth in the wide receiver core because similarly on our, our side of the ball in the defence, we uh, we had a, a litany of injuries in terms of our uh, defensive backs and hence why we've just sent the third round pick we got from Seattle to you guys for uh, Gary Connolly, the f- former first round pick, Ohio State man. What can Texans fans look for uh, in this guy? In terms of um, Connolly and receivers, you can have Connolly. Yeah, he's not he's not being the best one, our best best cornerback that we've had. Um, we have he was potentially would have been our third cornerback with our with Nixon coming with Nixon coming back. So, um, in terms of our receiver depth, hopefully we get Zay Brown starting this weekend for, uh, from the Bills that we traded for. Um, potentially he will be number one. I don't see Williams coming back this week. Yeah, I think so. I mean, from from the, the the limited sort of film clips I've watched, I think Conley potentially will add an element. It's certainly, I think he's got some work to do in his angles and his pursuit that he takes on in tackling. But he he definitely seems like he's got some ability in man coverage. So hopefully, you know, we just needed bodies. I think we had three. We had well, we had Bradley Bradley Roby go out the week before against the Chiefs. Jonathan Joseph was out that week, came back, went off the field. Philip Gaines, who we signed off the off the off the street prior to the season and previously been on the Chiefs, he went he went off and he's out now for five months and I expect him to be placed on IR shortly this week. And then uh, we also had the Keon Crossan, who we traded for for the Patriots for the sixth round pick right just before the season start, also went off. So um, Bill O'Brien, as the de-, de facto GM, was sort of hand was forced to make this move. I think obviously first round pick, there's talent there potentially a fresh start and a different scheme potentially might might. Uh, might uh, might 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 suit him better and, and t- hopefully take his game to another level because obviously there is a reason why Gruden's let him go um, and 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 for a third round pick you know only three years and you know a four with a fifth year option deal so um, it'll be interesting to see how that that pans out I think certainly he, on paper it looks like a potentially could be you know a player with upside but uh, time will tell and obviously you'll get. Uh, He'll get to face some familiar faces this weekend, and so Tyro Williams, you think he he's potentially out? Is, is, is that that's the thought? Or? Well, like uh, reading the notes, he has he has been practicing. He's he's been fully kitted. He's 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 doing his routes and all that jazz and jazz. But he could he could potentially come back and play. I just don't want him to come back and play if he isn't one hundred percent. Last week we was running four receivers. Uh, 
two of them were rookies. So, yeah, I've got a distinct memory of him in his in his in his Charger days of 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 of, uh, of taking a, a long touchdown at NRG and uh, basically sealing that game that day for uh, Philip Rivers and Co. So, yeah, I think definitely in, uh, you know receivers with that sort of speed, I think is is, is always is always a a, a a thought point for the for the secondary and then the defense as a whole and how the game plan for them. In terms of the uh, in terms of some of the filming when I was picking up on Conley as well, the, the criticism was the the low the low blitz rate that uh, that Paul Gunther in this, this uh, defense is shown and it was 30, 30 seconds in the league or, or dead last in in, uh, in pressures. Um, so in terms of the the pass rush, do you think that's a weakness that definitely this improved Texans unit with obviously Laramie Tunsil and and Co uh, can uh, could potentially use to advance to keep Deshaun in the pocket and do what he does best? I believe we've got the line. The line, our line, the past few weeks have has has been pressuring the quarterback and got the sacks. Uh, Max Crosby's been been a standout player for me on our line. Um, Tunsil Tunsil's a good player. I don't see why Miami got rid, but then can anybody tell us what Miami are doing? But in terms of in terms of our line against yours, I reckon I reckon we can get the pressure. It's just can we get the pressure quick enough? I think Max Cosby's definitely one of the guys you need to watch out for. He um he started off a little slow. We didn't see much of him. Then in the Colts game, he had a forced fumble, a few back downs. Then he got his first sack in Chicago. Then he got Aaron Rodgers last week, which I didn't realise he did his a uh, discount double check. Belting. Yes, yes, he did. Yeah, he's and then Rodgers him. reacted by uh, throwing like four or five touchdowns. <laughs> so you know, maybe don't showboat like that at the beginning of the game. Maybe do it at the end. Just a note about Max Crosby as well. He's the only rookie currently in the NFL with with two sacks, forced fumble, and two pass deflections this season. So he he's getting his stats and he's getting he's getting his records and he he's recorded sacks in back-to-back weeks for the first time in his career obviously he's only a rookie but two sacks in two weeks you can't complain at that yeah it's, it's interesting i think because he was certainly sort of touted as a late round prospect that could potentially have some upside so you know it's good to see these guys that potentially overlooked you know coming into the league and making an impact clemson as a university has got a big influence within the uh within the texans locker room a uh, number of players from 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 that program and obviously the the Raiders took uh, Clint Farrell at, at fourth, which was a bit of a shock at the time. Um, and how how have, how have you kind of found uh, Clint and his his impact in, the, in 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 that line? I like him. I I watch a lot of college football, and I did watch a lot of Clemson the year just gone and the year previous. I just think uh, when we took him at fourth, I was like, no, it was, too, it was a reach. It was a reach, and I still I still think it's a reach now. He hasn't produced what a fourth would produce. I mean, look at Nick. Look, look what Nick Bosa is doing. Yes, I, I know he was fourth and he went first. Um, sorry, second to the Niners. But if he went second and Ferrell went fourth, I'd be expecting, I'd be expecting some along that those lines for the position we took him in. I believe he can only get better. He's showing promise. He's been out with concussion. Um, so maybe that's just knocked him about a bit. But he's, he's still a rookie. I mean, not everyone gets off the line uh, from day one, let's be honest. Get some, get some games under his feet and we'll see where he is from there. Um, but that just puts our depth as well. Like He, he went down 
Max stepped up. And if, if there's uh, people that are not not uh, as close to the Raiders as you are, guys, who would you say is the kind of sleeper? I know we've just touched on Crosby, but the sleeper potential breakout star sitting on this roster that, that you think by the season end and potentially on Sunday as well, people will start to take notice of. George, I've got one in mind. What would you say? Um, oh, uh, I'm going to go with um, Keelan Doss. You know, we saw hard him knocks hard down. knocks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he, he, he brought up a lot of reputation and people started to believe in him. And then we cut him. Um, and then was it week three or week four, something like that, we uh, signed him back. Mm-hmm. From, the, then, uh, uh, from the Jags roster, when the practice roster. Yeah. And then each week he seems to get in a few more catches and a few more plays. And I feel like even with Zay Jones or Tyrell coming back, he might be booted up and we might use him a lot more. I hope we do because even in the few little bits we've seen, uh, he's still shown maybe a good amount of speed and good hands. And with him being so young, I feel like he could be a star or like a good fourth, third guy to go with in the future. I'm glad you said Doss, because I've got a receiver in mind as well. Uh, my receiver's Hunter Renfro, former Clemson. Uh, yes, he's only 5'10", 185 yards. Uh, he's not he's not starting for us, but as a slot receiver, and if you've watched any of the Clemson games, you know Hunter Renfro can can perform miracles. Like, give, give him the ball, and he will score. Now, obviously... The NFL to, to NCAA to college is, is a is a big leap for most people. Some people come in and and just it's just nature, second nature to them. And some people have to adjust to the league and how different it is. But I think I think at the end of the season, Renfro will be either our second uh, pushing for pushing for first and receiving um, receiver options. But if if we keep Carr or even just at the end of the season, that's a Carr's with us, and then we get rid of him at the end of the season, if he trusts in Renfro, Renfro will produce. Uh, look what Lawrence did with him. Like I say, at Clemson, Renfro is just a beast. I can't I can't believe he he fell so low in the in the draft and no one picked him up. It must be because of his height, or I don't know. Most people like to go for big, tall receivers, don't they? I mean, look at look at Metcalf and whatnot. But Hunter Renfro will be. Will have his name ringing out at the end of the season for me. Yeah, I think sort of front office staff and and personnel uh, departments across the league. I think they tend to, you know, sometimes overfixate on height, weight, speed, and all these measurables in the combine. And actually, you know, can the guy play? And uh, it was it was uh, Renfro that that holding the the uh, the go ahead touchdown when when Deshaun caught him in the end zone for when Clemson won the national championship the year pro- the, the the previous one. Uh, to their to their last, so yeah, no, definitely. I think sure Deshaun will, I'll, I'll know the the inside track on him. And and talking of Deshaun, uh, from your guys' perspective, what sort of threat do you think he brings? And 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 is, is it something that you, a player now that certainly I know what he's capable of, and obviously he's come back from a couple of injuries that have hampered him. I think finding his true place and his true fit, um, footing in the league. Uh, but I think he's he's definitely getting to that point now where he's he he strikes fear into the heart of many defensive coordinators and Paul Gunther and, and that defense will have a lot to handle if if he's on his A game on Sunday. I like him. Um, I I do watch the Texans most weeks, 
just because I like I, I like a few of the players. Obviously, I've mentioned JJ. You know, I, I like Hopkins and I like uh, Watson. And I think if if he if it wasn't for him getting injured uh, back in his rookie season, I think maybe he could have taken offensive rookie away from uh, was it Kamara? Who got it? I think it was. Yeah, Alvin Kamara. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because we just saw when he when he came in in between the Bengals game how good he can be, and. It was so. I, I, I was actually quite sad when I saw he got injured because I was like such a young QB who's showing good potential and is actually maybe turning the Texans around, and then he goes and goes gets injured, and I, I think I think if he'd have stayed, you might have maybe made the playoffs then. Now that you've got Tunsil, I think the one problem with the Texans has always been offensive line, and I think if you maybe maybe go for one more in the draft or free agency. Maybe you can have like the best team because give Watson time to maybe scramble out or find Hopkins or Fuller or your tight end, and you're going to be a real uh, yeah. team to be worried about. Yeah, I think it was unfortunate that in the Kansas City game, which was our best performance this season, um, and we should have put up you know comfortably 40, 45 plus points. Um, Will Fuller, who you'll miss this weekend just with a hamstring injury, continues to, to battle against um, health. But um, Titus Howard, our right tackle, went out in that game, our first-round pick this year at Alabama State. He went out, and actually that was a big difference when the Colts last week was that we, uh, Roderick Johnson, uh, yeah, a former late-round pick by the Cleveland Browns, was inserted in the lineup, then went out. And then a guy who we signed from uh, the practice squad from New England, Dan Skipper, came in. Um, and both both those guys had a bit of a rough day of it. So actually, um, you know, the the line with those two bookends, and hopefully uh, Titus will be back in a couple of weeks. He won't play this Sunday. Um, I think we've got you know the, the the makings of a really good line. And Nick Martin is centre, obviously. Fit, you know, he's obviously the lineage with his brothers. Probably you know one of the top two guards in the game with the Dallas Cowboys. I think we've got the, a decent line, um, and certainly in the in the Kansas City game and, and the Atlanta game. Uh, two games. I was, I was just that. Um, uh, you know, where we put up, you know, nine, almost ninety points in the two games. I think because Deshaun had time, he wasn't sacked in either. Now we were sort of cruelly taken a touchdown away where Deshaun maintained his balance uh, and then was ruled down. And actually, I think that was a big swing in the game and it took up a lot of wind out of our sails. So hoping this week back at home in front of the home fans, it's a must-win game for us. And uh, I think, uh, I think potentially Deshaun will be ready to go because I think he's he was very kind of focused in the media that. It was a game that you know a lot of things, particularly penalties, went against us, and it was a it was a frustrating afternoon. So, him and the offense, particularly Hopkins, who's not had numbers wise the best game um, or the best year to this point. Um, I think these guys will be looking to bounce back, and and hopefully they can do that in a in a in a, in a strong way this weekend. And um, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting matchup. I think you've got kind of one team who's kind of on the rise and rebuilding, and one team who's kind of really at this point, and partly because we've got Deshaun, I think, and you saw with the trade with Conley and the trade with Tunsil that we've touched upon uh, you know a, a, an organisation that's you know that's going to be aggressive so we need to win now and uh, it's going to be interesting to see on Sunday how that quite pans out so have you uh, have you got any predictions guys for the for the weekend um, it's always tough to call I think and the, the point spread um, in the Texans favour being the home team is typical but have you got any you got any uh, ways you see it going it's negative obviously it's negative for me I don't see us getting the win I see I see it being a close game um I see you getting the win, ed- edging the win. It'll be under thirty for each. Nobody'll score over thirty points. Um, I think I think the Texans will pick up the win. I think you'll go five and three, 
Um, the only way our seals get in the win is, is if we pressure Watson. I mean, he's one of those quarterbacks that if we pressure him, he has the ability to get out of that pocket and run. He he's not he's not a quote unquote pocket quarterback. He he does run, and I believe you had, he had two rushing touchdowns against the Chiefs, um, and a rushing touchdown against Carolina. Like he he isn't scared to leave that pocket and run. So if we can pressure him and actually get to him, then we can probably pick up the win. I mean, our pass D stinks. I'm going to say it point blank. Yeah, Rod, the whole the whole um, Packers team had 481 yards on us. 429 of those were passing yards. So if you can protect him and he can just chuck that ball willy-nilly, then you'll get the win. We need to pressure him because our pass D stinks. And if we can pressure him and get the ball back, then we have a chance. If we if we can't, it's it's game over. It's Packers once again. You have the quality to put the points up. I mean, looking at all your games, but and we will we'll just um, we'll not look at the Panthers game because I don't know what happened there. But all your games, you're scoring more than you're scoring 27, 24. I mean, 27, 31, 50, 53 against a bad Atlanta squad, but still 53. And then even in your loss last week, you had 23. If we can't keep up with your with your output, then we're going to lose. And if, like I said, you can pass on us all day, and you and unless we get the pressure on him, we're, we're going to lose. A bit like what you said. This is a definite win. We, we need a win here. We're, with the Chiefs still winning, we, we don't need to worry about the Broncos or Chargers. I, I think, but we, we need to try and keep up with them. But we're ending our big road journey. Uh, I think we. I think we need to end it on a win, definitely. But like you say, if if we can keep Watson in the pocket and try and avoid him scrambling outside of it, I, I think we can win. Definitely, you've got to win your, you've got to win your AFC clashes, I think, and it's so important when it comes to the, the seeding if, if, if the teams are, are close towards the end and obviously the two teams your division have sort of underperformed per, perhaps where they thought they would be. So definitely the chase is on with the Chiefs and you want to try and keep as close to them and keep the record there to hopefully get the wild card berth. Guys, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate that. It was a great insight into the the Oakland Raiders. All the best for Sunday and do keep in touch and uh, we'll speak to you again soon. And that's all we've got time for a bumper edition this week of the Turn Up For What podcast. I've been your host, Ewan Disonquois. Please share, review and subscribe with anybody that wants to listen and talk some Texas football. Next week we'll be joined by a huge guest, which we're massively excited about. We'll review Sunday's game against the Raiders and as well as look forward to the homecoming game at Wembley Stadium against the Jags. Signing off for another week, wherever you're listening from, we are Texans. (laughs) 